0: Okay, so friends, we are continuing today in our sermon series, the book of Ephesians. We started in chapter 1, verse 1. We went through it. Uh, I think we have three, about three sermons left until we're finished with the whole book, which will be at the end of chapter 6. But for today, we're still in the beginning of chapter 6, where Paul, the author of the book of Ephesians, the, the guy who wrote the book, is in the middle of giving us his instructions On what's often called the Christian household code. Now, what is the Christian household code? Put simply, the Christian household code are instructions of the way that people who believe in the good news of Jesus Christ should interact with other members in their family unit. Paul's saying that if you believe in the good news of the gospel, okay, if you believe that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, came down to earth and sacrificed his own life on the cross so that you may be forgiven from your sins and accepted into God's family, if you believe that, then that belief system should affect the way you treat other people in your own family, right? That's, the, that's a logical connection there. We talked about marriage last week, and now we're going to talk, be talking about the relationship between parents and children, and to be honest, this one's a bit funny for me, why? Why? because I'm, I'm in a journey, right? Seven years ago, I wasn't a parent yet, and almost nobody in CCC had kids at the time either. So I would empathize um, with the children's side more than the parent side, and almost every meeting I had was like, your mom said what? You know, your dad did what? <laughs> I was very heavy leaning on the kid's side. But now, seven years later, after having two kids of my own, I'm not so sure where my allegiance lies anymore. Now I'm more like those darn children, <laughs> you know? And whatever, wherever you are here today, whether you connect more with Paul's words from the children's perspective, or you connect more with Paul's words to the parents, or maybe, like me, you're somewhere in between. Either way, if we're honest, I think we can all agree that the parent-child relationship is a beautiful mess, is it not? It's beautiful, it's messy, it's great, it's complicated, and it's everything in between. And it's also perhaps one of the most forming relationships you have in your life. Whether you like it or not, the way your parents raised you shaped a blueprint in the way you view the world, in the way you view life, in the way you view yourself, and it'll influence the way that you raise and shape your kids as well. It's an important relationship. So how do Christians, how do people who believe in the good news of Jesus Christ navigate through this very influential relationship? How do we shift through this beautiful mess? take a look at our passage. This is God's Word, taken today from Ephesians chapter 6, verse 1 to 4. Thus says the Lord, children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Thus says the Lord. Three things I want to point out from our passage today. First, children, obeying your parents well require humility and wisdom. Fathers, raising your children well require self-restraint. And parents, doing your job well require self-forgetfulness. Okay? Start the first point. Paul addresses the children first here. Children all of us here. Obeying your parents well require humility and wisdom. So before we start, I got to remind ourselves again of how different this Christian household code was that Paul is offering compared to other household codes in Paul's day at the time, okay? And one blaring difference that the original readers would have immediately seen here is the fact that Paul addressed the children directly, No other household code of the day would have done that. They might have mentioned the children in passing. They might have spoken to the children in third person as they're talking to the father. But they would have never addressed them as directly as Paul did here, or much less addressed them first before you address the parents. But that's what Paul did here. He addressed the child first, and then the parents, and almost all fathers back then would, would would have read this and been like, Paul, I'm right here. Why are you talking to my kid? Just just tell me what they have to do, and then I'll tell them to do it, like every other household code. But Paul here is saying, no, I'm going to talk to your child directly. It's like, why? Because, Paul's emphasizing here, your child needs to know that this command didn't come from you. It came from God directly to them. So, if you could excuse me for a second, parents, I'm going to ask you to step aside. Children, meaning all of you here today whose parents are still alive. Children, what I'm about to say didn't come from your parents. What I'm about to say came from God. Obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Now, you are all critical thinkers here. So immediately, tons of questions must come to mind, right? After you hear these words, such as, what? (laughs) What if my parents' demands are unreasonable, Paul? How does that work exactly? What if they're asking me to do something that's wrong, against God's will even? Do I just have to say yes to everything my parents ask me to do? There's this sentence that I like about wisdom, and it's not always applicable, but I think it might be here, and it says this. Like all good fruit, the balance of life is in the ripened ruin. Like all good fruit, the balance of life is in the ripened ruin. There's a small window, the sentence is saying, that can be found just right after A fruit's ripened, this top peak sweetness in every fruit's lifespan, just after it's ripened, right before it's ruined. And I think for this situation here, we need to find the peak sweet spot in Paul's words. Why? Because it seems like he's saying two different things. On one hand, he's emphasizing here obedience, right? As we just read, children obey, he says. By the way, he doesn't say children submit which is what he said to wives in relation to husbands a few verses ago. To children, he used a much stronger phrase, obey, obey your parents in the Lord. If you're in the Lord, if you're a Christian, Paul's saying here, then obedience to your parents is the appropriate way to live your life. But on the other hand, Just as the phrase, in the Lord, heightens the call to obey, the phrase, in the Lord, at the same time, also tempers the command to obey. Why? Because by saying, in the Lord, Paul's reminding the children here that the Lord is the ultimate authority, not your parents. The Lord, Jesus' king, your parents are here, they're vice regents, representative of the king and then you're under your parents. Your parents aren't the Lord, which means by logical implication that if your parents, the appointed vice regents, tells you to do something that is opposite to the king's will, what do you do in that situation? Do you just ignore the fact that what they're asking you to do is wrong and blindly obey them? Or do you completely disobey your parents and just disregard them and every single thing that they say, or is wisdom perhaps found in between ripe and ruin? Now, this may sound like I'm being wishy washy. I'm not. This is exactly what Paul warns us about earlier in Ephesians chapter 5 before he gave us all these household codes. He said, Remember, you must be wise in discerning God's will in your life because it's not always going to be clear, especially with family. It's not always going to be black and white. And the ability for you to navigate through that gray areas of life faithfully to the Lord is exactly what wisdom is. Deploy wisdom. What is the sweet spot here? Even in the way Paul reasons with kids in verses 2 to 3, assumes a lot of nuance, a lot of common sense, and a lot of wisdom is being deployed. Paul says this, children, obey your parents to the Lord, for this is right. Honor them. Why? What's the reason, Paul? Look at verses 2 to 3 because this is the first commandment with a promise that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. By the way, Paul's quoting Deuteron- Deuteronomy chapter 5, verse 16 here that we just read on our call to worship, which is in the Old Testament. And he's saying this pretty much, children, if you obey your parents, you will live a long and happy life. Now, if you take this sentence simplistically, that sentence would have made no sense at all to the people at the time. Why? Because back then, pre-modern medicine, up to 39 to 50% of children would have died before the age of 10. So how can you say, hey, if you obey your parents, you're going to live a long and happy life? You can't. Okay, so then what? Paul's words here are false? No, it's not false. You just can't read it simplistically like that. You got to deploy Reason, read it wisely. This isn't a black and white equation. Just do this and you'll get that. Paul's saying here look, generally speaking, okay, if you obey your parents, generally speaking, if you honor them, if you heed their words, of course it's not going to be like this all the time, but generally speaking, it's going to help you out a lot in life. You'll avoid tons of mistakes that you'd have fallen into otherwise you have clearer foresight to those roads that you have not yet traveled, and you will fare well in life. <laughs> so, same with the words, obey your parents and the Lord. You don't read that simplistically. Deploy nuance, deploy common sense and wisdom. What if, for example, and this is perhaps the situation for many of us here, what if you work with your parents and the business decision that they made you are a 1,000% convinced is wrong. Not only wrong, but you actually feel like it would hurt the company. What's the sweet spot there? If your parents are micromanaging the way you raise your kids in the way that you disagree with, what's the sweet spot there? If they ask you to perform certain traditional rituals that are clearly against the Lord's will as is revealed in the Scripture... What's the sweet spot there? Now, I don't have time to go into every detail in everyone's case, okay? But I do think there's at least one good implication that we can get from this passage itself for children about how to handle these gray areas that you walk into. And it's this. Despite your disagreements with your parents, despite how unreasonable you may think their requests are, Paul is saying here, Lean toward honor. Just lean toward honor. This is the first command with a promise, he said. If you honor them, it will be well with you. You live a long and happy life. Just look. Hear them out. Hear them out. I know, I know. I know, I know, I know. I get it. Just hear them out. Is nuance and wisdom to be deployed? Yes, of course. Is is it to be applied? Of course. But at the same time, friends, we can't deny the simplicity and directness of God's command here. Children, if you honor your parents, it'll go well with you and you'll live long in the land. Just hear them out. Because it's so easy, isn't it, to shut our ears completely, especially toward our family members. Why? because we t- we've turned them into two-dimensional characters. My husband, some of us here might say, is an unfeeling person, and that's it. That's all he is, just an unfeeling person, nothing more, not more complicated than that, that's all he is. So, no, I'm not gonna hear him out. Why would I listen to an unfeeling person? Or my wife, not my wife, it's just an example, okay, (laughs) that I'm giving, for example, you say, (laughs) my wife is a hater of saving accounts. She hates them. Every time she sees one, she wants to demolish them. That's all she is, okay? Not more complicated than that. So every decision we make about finances, I'm not going to hear her out at all, ever, because that's all there is to her. My mom again, not my mom, just an example, we say, maybe, my mom is an emotionally frantic lady. That, that's all she is. So I'm not going to listen to her at all, ever. Or my dad is a prideful, hard-hearted man. And that's all there is to him. Nothing more, nothing more complex. He's a two-dimensional character. So why would I ever listen to a prideful, hard-hearted man. Now, I don't want to be presumptuous to everyone's situation and family dynamics. I'm sure there are extreme cases out there that I don't have time to discuss right now, and we can chat about that maybe later. What Paul is saying here is that, look, generally speaking, children, just hear them out. (laughs) Hear them out. Lean toward honor. It's for your own good. If you close your ears completely to them because you've caricatured them into two-dimensional characters then you'll never be able to start the process of wisdom in finding these sweet spots between the many ripes and ruins. God may use your parents to throw your way. And you'll be missing out on some really sweet morsels of wisdom that God may want to be giving you through them, through that beautiful mess. So, humble yourselves, Yes, use wisdom and discernment, but lean toward honor. Lean toward honor. Now, in classic Pauline pattern, we see here in this passage that Paul never just demands obedience from one side, right? Always from both. So after he calls the children to obey in verses 1 to 2, he then addresses the parents in verses 3 to 4. Parents, he says, God's called your kid to obey you. Don't make their job harder for them. Second point. Fathers, raising your children well requires self restraint. Now, notice in verse 1, Paul tells the children to obey who? Their parents, both mom and dad, right? Obey mom and dad. But here in verse 4, Paul switches and he addresses not just one parent, uh, not both parents, but just one parent. Who does Paul address here in verse 4? Fathers. Why? Because back then, in the Greco-Roman political sphere, the father would have had much more social and legal power over the kids, even compared to the mother. And it is embedded within the Christian worldview, which is fashioned upon the story of a cross, that those who have more power have more homework. So Paul warns the one parent with more social and legal power at the time, with a weightier warning. Fathers, though applies to both parents, but fathers, he said, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. And here, just as children must do the hard work of finding the right balance between ripe and ruin, so must parents do the same. But if for the child the sweet spot question would be between when to obey and when not to obey. For parents here, the sweet spot question would be between when to pull back and when to apply discipline. Where's the sweet spot? Okay, look at verse 4 again. Paul says on one hand, fathers, do not provoke your children to anger. Now, Liam, my five-year-old son, just four days ago on Thursday morning, was smoldering angry at me because he didn't want to go to school. And just to clarify, that is not a comment on the quality of his current school. Okay, it's great. It's just what five-year-olds do sometimes, okay? So does that mean just because my child was angry at me this past Thursday morning, I have failed God's command here to not provoke my child to anger? No, of course not. Maybe to help clarify this further, we can go to Paul's words in Colossians chapter 3 verse 21, where Paul actually repeats the same exact command to the father here, to the parents, word for word, but with one minor detail, edit, one minor edit. In Colossians chapter 3 verse 21, Paul doesn't say, fathers don't provoke your children lest they be angry. He says, fathers do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. In our passage in Ephesians 5, Paul says, don't provoke your children lest they be angry. In Colossians 3, Paul says, don't provoke your children lest they be discouraged. And it's hard to not conclude that perhaps Paul here isn't referring to two different emotions, but he's in fact referring to two sides of the same emotion. It's not just anger that he's telling you to be weary about. It's this sort of anger that erupts from your child because you have been hounding quite constantly on them for a while now, and they feel discouraged. See, anger is an emotion that likes to skip the line. And behind it, standing there, may actually be Loneliness, insecurity, shame, many things, even discouragement. That's the kind of discouragement Paul's asking to be weary of. Now, now, parents, this requires an insane amount of humility from our end. But what Paul's saying here is this take an honest look at what might be behind your child's anger right now. Is it just simple rebelliousness like Liam on Thursday morning? Or is it this deep sense of self-debasing discouragement because you've been going hard on them for a really long time now? If it's the second one, then you must apply self-restraint. Self-restraint. But Tez, they deserve it and they won't learn otherwise. Sure, I know, I got kids too they have tons to learn, but if they're currently at this point of self-debasing, discouraged wrath about life and about you and about themselves, again, I don't want to speak in absolute here, but generally speaking, it may be prudent for you to switch gears. Switch gears. If that's where things are currently, Paul's saying, look at the middle of verse four, you must instead bring them up You see, instead of pushing them further down, bring them up. Okay, how do we do that? Well, this is interesting. The phrase, bring them up here in verse 4, is actually the same exact Greek word that Paul used, if you guys remember, just a few verses ago, when he tells the husbands to nurture their wives in the Lord. It's the same Greek word. It's ektrefo. Husbands, you must etrefo, or nurture your wife toward the Lord. Fathers, you must etrefo, and lift your child up in the Lord. So how do you lift them up in the Lord? Yes, fathers, it includes very much so emotional affection. You know, one place in the Bible where the parent's emotional affection for the child is, is, is explained quite vividly is actually in 2 Samuel chapter 12 where it says that a parent who loves their child would one let them eat the morsel or the best part of the meat that's on their plate think about that if if the point there is just feeding them then just get another plate with good meat on it if the point is physical nurture then just do that but the point isn't primarily physical nurture it's emotional nurture He's saying, let them see that you're giving them the best part of your meat from your plate. I remember when I was a little kid, my mom and I would go to a KFC together for special occasions. And like any sane child, I would peel the KFC skin right off the chicken and I'll put it on the side and I'll save it to the very end. It's called delayed gratification, friends. It's a good thing. Okay, you should try practicing it and my mom would also do the same thing she would peel the skin put at the end but every time at the end she would always give her chicken skin to me and I'd always go why mom that's like the best part don't you like it and she'd always respond oh I love it but I love you more Now, did the fried chicken skin physically nurture me? (laughs) Absolutely not. (laughs) But did her words nurture me? It is still the water that nourishes my soul today. Let him eat from the morsel of your plate. Let him drink from your cup not just from any cup, your cup. And lastly, he says, let him lay in your arms. Ek trefo your child. And by the way, remember who Paul's talking to here. Not mothers, not grandmothers, not nannies, Fathers fathers, emotionally nourish your child in the Lord. Being your child's financial provider is by far not your only job. But Tez, my friend, I've tried this. I really have. I've given my child my precious KFC chicken skin. And you know what he did when he ate it? He complained that it's not crispy enough. (laughs) I have shared my cup with my child and he whines because my lips have dampened that one particular part of the cup's circumference and now he's in the corner shaking because his world has ended. Which is a real story from personal experience, by the way. Does nurturing your children in the Lord mean that we can't ever discipline them when they're acting childish or immature? Of course it doesn't. (laughs) You should discipline your child. In fact, Paul continues in verse 4 by saying, you must, you must look at verse 4. Paul says, fathers, bring your children up, act for them, nourish them. How? In the discipline and instruction of the Lord. And those two phrases, discipline and instruction, do very much include punishment and applying consequences when necessary, when applicable. Okay, so where's the sweet spot here? Between left nourishing and right punishing, okay, so that our child may grow up in the Lord. Let's go to our last point. Parents, doing your job well require self-forgetfulness. So a very helpful phrase that I think Paul gives us here to kind of help us find that that sweet spot, okay, for parents is in the very last phrase of verse 4 when he says, of the Lord, fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Okay, parents, here's what Paul's saying. In order to ensure that our discipline does not produce from within our children this kind of discouraged, self-debasing wrath and anger toward life, when we discipline them, you must apply, Paul's saying here, the Lord's discipline instead of our own brand of discipline. It has to be the Lord's. And this could mean many things. For example, one thing it could mean is that we must be able to differentiate, parents, between our preferences and the Lord's commands. That's one way this applies. Ask ourselves, is the command that we're currently giving or is the punishment that we're currently applying to our children centered upon Christ or upon our own annoyances? Because those are two different things, by the way. Now, this doesn't mean that I have to have a Bible verse for everything I ask my kids to do. Okay, like when Liam was losing it because he didn't want to go to school Thursday morning, I didn't say, for thus says the Lord. (laughs) In Romans chapter 12, you must be transformed by the renewal of your mind. (laughs) No, I didn't do that, okay? All this means just put different weight on different instructions based on whether or not it's your preference or the Lord's command, and it's hard to distinguish that sometimes for sinful people like us, but we must. Do I, for example, prefer Elena to wear something more formal to church on Sundays? I do. But look, it's a fight every morning Sunday, and I'm not about dying on that hill, okay? So sometimes I'm just like, okay, as long as you look presentable and you look fine, that's okay with me. The consequences for that disobedience exist, but it's not the weightiest of consequences, you see. But for example, if I see that in school, Elena starts to discriminate her friends based on wealth, or if she lies to her teacher, or if she bullies someone, then the discipline and instructions for those transgressions, you bet, will be greater and weightier. Why? Because Those ones have clearer connection to God's commands and God's hearts as we find in the scripture. All human beings are made in his image, Genesis 2 says. So treat everyone with dignity and respect. Don't speak false witness, Exodus 20 says. Don't lie, you see. Applying the Lord's brand of discipline could mean differentiating between your preferences and the Lord's commands and knowing what weight to put where. It could also mean, for example, that when you decide to discipline your child, you make sure you display the Lord's heart for his discipline to his children through it and not just your own wrath. See, if you discipline your child because of a sudden burst of uncontrollable anger, that is not the discipline of the Lord. That is an outburst of your anger. What is the Lord's heart like when he disciplines his children? Hebrews twelve sixteen says, God, and we quoted it earlier, God chastises those who he loves, and he chastises every son whom he receives. Love is the motivation for God's chastisement of his children. Mercy is, kindness is, commitment to their growth is the motivation, not wrath, not even justice. See, at least this is true for me. When I'm at the height of my anger toward my kid, you know what becomes the main motivation for my discipline to them? It's not love. It's not mercy. It's what? It's justice. I say, if you don't do this, then you get that. Rasain <laughs> lo. But the discipline of the Lord does not lean toward justice like that. It leans toward what? Mercy. It's because of mercy. Why? Why is it primarily based on mercy and not justice? Because, friends, all the justice for our mistakes and sins was already paid for in full when he himself died for our immaturities on that cross. The full measure, not in part, but the whole, the full measure of wrath, and indignation and justice that our heavenly Father should have had on every single one of us was placed full force upon his only begotten Son on that cross. That's why. On the cross, Jesus didn't just share with us a morsel of food on his plate. He himself became our living bread He didn't just share his cup with us. He drank the full cup of God's wrath so that we can enjoy him as our living water. That's why. Don't forget, parents, you are children too. Even if your parents have passed away, you are first and foremost the child of God, before you are a parent. And when your heavenly father chastises you, he does not whisper under his breath, Rasailo. You deserve it. You know what he whispers? I love you. When your heavenly father disciplines you, he's not saying, it's because I'm furious at you he's saying is because I'm pleased with you. Even when we make the same mistakes over and over and over again, there's not one ounce of wrath and displeasure left upon him, why? Because Jesus has taken all of it on your behalf to make you a child of God, so far be it from us Christian parents to turn our children into recipients of our unloving wrath when God himself died so that you may no longer be the recipient of his. Find the sweet spot, parents. Don't provoke your child to wrath. Nor spoil them by sparing the rod. But when you discipline them, make sure that it's the Lord's discipline that you're executing and not your own. And children, as your parents lean toward mercy, you lean toward honor. Your parents are imperfect and flawed just like you are, and they are far from being the perfect vice regent that Christ calls them to be. Nonetheless, resist the temptation to caricature them into two-dimensional characters. Be wise. Find the sweet spot, because there is wisdom to be learned from them, there are lessons to be gleaned from them, and there are pitfalls to be voided through them. And as we do this, church, may we show the world that the gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news of the cross, can give hope even to one of the most complex and sometimes hopeless of human relationships. Let's show the world that the cross can create a sort of family that no other worldview can create. Because no other worldview presents a God like ours, who died to turn his enemies into family. Let's pray. Father, we can fool anyone by the way we dress at church. We can fool anyone by the eloquent prayers that we pray. We can fool anyone by the amount of money we tithe or by the service that we render upon your bride here on earth. But we can't fool anyone when they look into the family dynamics that we all have. The complicated, beautiful messes is the litmus test to the reality of our lives, and you see it all. You are not fooled by our religiosity. You are not fooled by our moralism, by our nice clothes. You see it all, but yet you remain patient with us still, and you apply the blood of Christ to every flaw we've committed (coughs) to the people that we claim we love most. May your cross and the message of that gospel ring loud and true in our hearts as a spirit makes it clear in the way we navigate through our beautiful messes back home that we call family. And as we do so, Father, may you carry us till the end because we know it's not our strength that does so, yet it is Christ in me. In his name and in his name alone we pray.